Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. If you found us, it's possible that you were searching for this subject, uh, or maybe you stumbled upon us. It's a very important subject, and we're talking about today PTSD. We're picking up from our conversation with psychologist Dr. Roger Levine from last week, and uh, so impactful, so many details, and so much more to unpack here. Uh, Roger, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. Yourself, Steve? I'm well. I'm well. And this PTSD, we talked a lot about it last time we got together, but what if somebody starts with some treatment and finds it's not working or they feel it's not working where do they go from there? Well, I think, you know, of course, depends on what they're they're trying to do with it, right? Uh, I think um, the more traditional way of dealing with it is uh, one of the ways, of course, is medication. Hmm. And I think at some point, if the medication isn't getting you to where you want to go, you have to start looking at what kind of therapy or what kind of therapist might be helpful. How would that vary? How would you make that determination of what type of therapy that you would use or get for your particular type of PTSD or is PTSD PTSD comes from different reasons, but the treatment is essentially going to be the same no matter where it comes from. Well, I think the uh, pretty much the uh, when you talk to your therapist, you can ask, you know, what what school they come from, right? And then the most basic place that that most uh, therapists can start is uh, CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? And what happens with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is that they learned a lot about trauma, and kind of uh, it evolved into what's called trauma-focused therapy. And there's a whole bunch of trauma-focused therapy. So when you talk to the therapist, they might talk about uh, trauma-focused as a label. They might talk about flooding. They might talk about um, uh, EDMR. And all these um, therapies, their strength is that if you can go through them, they're relatively quick. Uh, somewhere uh, between maybe 12 weeks and half a year, right? 26 weeks. Okay. Um, the problem is that they only uh, have, they have attrition rates up to 45 or 50%. Half the people have a hard time tolerating those things. So if one of the things that um, you're really, really having a problem with is talking about it or being really overwhelmed about your trauma. And if you're using one of those therapies and it just isn't working for you, then what's now evolved is uh, more mind-body-based or mindfulness cognitive-based therapies mm -hmm. where it may take you a little longer, but it's actually based on neuroscience and it's designed towards retraining your brain. So if the medication doesn't work, if the CBT doesn't work, if your trauma focus doesn't work, you might want to give a shot at a more uh, mindfulness-based approach to post-traumatic stress. Can we look at, you mentioned CBT, 
can can we look at what exactly that is, how that works? Well, the one underlying cornerstone of every therapy that works for any um, form of anxiety, including PTSD, is exposure therapy, right? Hmm. So they learned in decades ago in cognitive behavioral therapy that you needed to be exposed to the things that triggered you uh, to get past them for processes of extinction to take place. Um, the, uh, the challenge with exposure is just tolerating it. Hmm. Why is it so challenging to tolerate it? Because w- when we get triggered back to that event, we go, we can get so much adrenaline and cortisol, we go right to panic attack. Mm. Or we can just go to high, high levels of fear. And the more uh, adrenaline and cortisol, the less the cognitive part of behavioral therapy, CBT works, the C is for cognitive, because once we get to a certain level of arousal, we can't think clearly. Is it, is it true that the only way to make these therapies work is you have to go back. You're you're going to talk about it. The potential for the trigger is of the trauma is going to be there. Yeah, I think the the exposure to the trauma is needed at some level to rewire the brain. Um, and then I think the the core of all post traumatic stress comes back to the fact that the uh, trying to make some kind of sense or meaning out of it. Okay. So you now as the, the individual that's dealing or dealt with PTSD, you're back there again. Now you're trying to figure it out and that's where things go haywire can be very challenging. That's what I'm getting from you. Now, for example, um, you know, we talked about a young woman who uh, her boyfriend taped her legs and hands and and threatened her to get her credit cards because he was seeking some drugs, right? Mm. Trying to make sense of that and why it happened to you and all that kind of stuff is a really daunting task. Or even it could be something as a simple as a car accident and now maybe you lost a limb. Mm. So how do you make sense of why did this happen to me? How does this mean to my life? What does it mean for me going forward? All those things. I can see how painful it can be as you try to, you know, and you want to get out of, or I, I would think the best case scenario is to get out of the victim mode. You know, why me? Why did this happen to me to move forward? But not easier said than done. Yeah, I think a, a better explanation for victim mode really uh, is, uh, the why me's and, and all that kind of stuff is all an attempt to escape the intense discomfort of thinking about it, right? It's trying, we call it undoing. You know, why did this happen to me? If I could come up with a better story, it wouldn't have happened. It's it's illogical, but it's a natural way we try to escape our emotions. Hmm. What, in your opinion, would be the best type of therapy for PTSD? Just, you know, every situation is different, but overall. Well, I'm myself, I practice the more mindfulness based approach. Um, there's actually eight cognitive 
uh, in my body skills in my program. But the reason for that is that uh, when you're done, you actually have skills to handle any type of emotion and not just this one trauma. In other words, you'll end up being a much calmer person, much more peace of mind, uh, much more comfortable with your life and be able to handle situations going forward. It, it makes the situation so whatever happened to you actually turned out to your benefit because you're a better person on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah, it sounds totally reasonable in, in that you're learning what happened, but also learning how to deal with what happened as opposed to just going back, confronting the trigger, the trauma, and then trying to move forward uh, because it's going to come up again and, and they might not be with you. Now, what do you do? Correct. Hmm. Where do you go from there? Let's say somebody's been in treatment for, you know, say, 20 weeks and there's been improvement. Um, what's the long-term situation with PTSD? So for myself, one of the things that was uh, a big moment for me was uh, I'd gotten to the point where one day I'm just going along and a, and a car came really close to me and I didn't have a startle response. Hmm. And I, it made me think, wow, you know, not only am I not coming six inches off the ground, but I'm not irritable. I'm not having those nightmares. I'm sleeping all the way through the night. It's like, you know, it, it was an aha moment. I'm on, I'm on the other side of this thing, right? It wasn't plaguing me every day with all these little moments. Let's let's look at a situation. I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. Can there be PTSD from it? Now, we're talking about significant traumas in somebody's life. What if you were happily married or thought you were, and then let's say your spouse just said, yeah, I want a divorce. That's it. And then you find out things are going on. Um, in a situation like that, could you have PTSD in further relationships? Could there be some lingering effects from you know, a situation like that? Well, <clears throat> Let me just add a little bit more to your scenario to turn it into a PTSD scenario. Sure. Say in that scenario, uh, you were actually married to an extremely emotionally abusive person who really traumatized you during the relationship and then really went after you uh, in the divorce. Now, you'll have more going on hmm. than just PTSD, sure. right? And I think that's one of the things that uh, complicates almost all therapy because people don't show up as a pure case of PTSD or a pure case of anything. But what happened in that case, right, is that more than likely um, there was a lot more going on. There was a lot more traumas. It could have been a trauma in the uh, relationship and the way they were abused, right? But there could have been a trauma before that that set them up even to be in that kind of relationship. So the PTSD uh, events don't necessarily have to be like the car accident or death in a war. They can be any situation where mm. the... Uh, you're in fear for your life and you can't, it, it happens so intensely or so strongly, 
you can't make sense of it. And you know you have PTSD because you become hypervigilant. You're looking for that next shoe to drop. You may have nightmares, right? You may have a startle response. You'll probably be irritable. So those are kind of the hallmarks. Oh, this thing left me with PTSD versus maybe, uh, you know, just a bad uh, marriage and a bad divorce. Uh, you won't have that hypervigilance, but you may have a lot of anxiety about another relationship or what people think of you. And it'll be a more generalized kind of anxiety. And the reason I asked you that question, Roger, I wanted to go for a more less tumultuous situation where just something happened in somebody's life. And could they be left with something that's PTSD connected? For example, you know, in that example where somebody thought their marriage was okay, their partner just decided we're done. And then maybe they were cheating and you found it out, whatever. Um, from that point forward, could you be triggered in other relationships? Let's say somebody, uh, you know, like an abandonment situation. What, yeah. I, what I'm doing here is can you have PTSD even from a situation like that? Because uh, we know we can get it from other ones where you, you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if there's enough abuse in it, yes. So there has to be some type of abuse to, to you know, really. Well, some it. kind of trigger where you feel your safety is very threatened. Safety. Right. But here's where it comes up more often where is people who have like maybe ADHD or a substance abuse problem. They're bumbling through life with what this other issue they, they have a traumatic event. They have PTSD. It partially resolves, right? But now they're working on their PTSD or they're working on, or they're working on their ADHD or they're working on uh, their substance abuse problem. And now, um, now it's showing its head later. So you, what happens with a lot of people is they can partially resolve right? You know, you're, you're not, you're gonna, after the trauma, you're going to get quote better, right? But you can be left with a lot of lingering effects, um, that don't show up till later or complicate dealing with something else, or you might show up in a couple's counseling, right? And having trouble with your spouse over something, a trauma that you brought to the relationship and now it's causing a problem in the relationship because you never resolved it. Mm -hmm. So I see PTSD making get, uh, dealing with other situations more complicated. Or I'll, I've even had people show up who had partially resolved and they came because their boss said, if you don't improve your disposition, you're going to lose your job. Can that be PTSD? Can you get it from and that? And that can be PTSD. Just a oh. very irritable, guarded person, not playing well with others, that kind of thing at a, in a work situation. So they come to me and their bosses say, you know, saying, well, you got to get some anger management. And it turns out to be PTSD. Wow. And that's where I was going with this, because I, I wonder if many of us or a lot of us are dealing with a PTSD situation, but we don't see it that way because the, the catalyst is, wasn't really in our minds, super traumatic. 
Um, you know, same thing in the example I gave, like you know, later in life, you go into a relationship and now there are things that may trigger you. Let's say, you know, you feel that somebody is not uh, being honest. Could that be a trigger from a PTSD situation from somebody maybe cheating on you? Um, and what you said, sure, surely, you know, if somebody brings those situations into a relationship. Let's say your father left you and your family just abandoned you. And now you bring that into a relationship. Uh, I would imagine based on what we're talking about, that could even be a PTSD situation that would hamper your, uh, your life in another relationship. Yeah. I, um, the whole issue of how your PTSD occurs. Um, lots of times people don't even know is I think the point you're getting to. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and also, we all want to believe that we're past whatever problem we have, right? Of course. Well, that happened three years ago, or that happened five years ago. I'm, I'm all, I'm all good, right? Right. Yeah. A a absolutely. Um, and you don't think of it as being, yeah, it, it bothered me. That was a problem, but you don't think of it in terms of PTSD. Maybe there's triggers there, but you said the word safety is PTSD. Well, I guess you know what. When we look at it, safety in that situation, you want to feel safe in a relationship. And if you've been done wrong and it affected you in a big way, that could be safety as well. Safety of your yeah. emotions, right? Exactly. Okay. I had uh, a young woman who uh, came in. She was having a lot of trouble with her family and her current relationship. And what it went back to was she saw her sister getting abused when they were kids. Mm. And some of the things that were going on were triggering her uh, from that vicarious experience of her sister's abuse. Wow. Yeah, this, this can run deep, take shape in forms of all different areas. Um, well, I think that's the big thing with PTSD is there's the experiences you have, which can trigger it. But also you can vicariously get it. That's why, hmm. you know, firemen or policemen or even if you see uh, a bad situation or say, you know, you're in a medical profession when you, it can be triggered when you're just seeing somebody else's uh, trauma. Wow. Which gives us a lot to think about. When you say, you know, as we try to look at our lives and and when we try to answer that question, why do I act the way I act? When that happens, maybe it's connected to a PTSD situation. If it's not PTSD, truly PTSD, what would it be? Just a trigger? Just fear. Just fear? Okay. So you, <clears throat> from a clinical perspective, right, we have a number of presentations where fear is kind of out of control and we label them differently with different diagnose, diagnosis because sometimes the treatment is a little different or the etiology is different, right? So um, if you say you had your, uh, your uh, bad situation with a divorce, right? Um, in some cases, it can be just an uh, adjustment disorder with anxiety. In other words, you were you're suffering the next few months from a lot of anxiety just because of the situation you were going through and you're having trouble adjusting. Or it could be now generalized, meaning that 
now you're anticipating things going bad. So it's not only just one thing that's bothering you, but everything you're anticipating yeah. being bad. So uh, the, the thing with the fear response is it, it can present itself in different ways and we have different diagnosis and then that affects how we treat it a little differently. How do you know that it's truly PTSD uh, from a clinical perspective? Well, I think primarily the symptom I look for is the uh, constant state of uneasiness we call hypervigilance. Hmm. And a third of the cases, there's derealization and depersonalization. So it's a very intense emotion. So you pretty much, if you're having trouble with, um, you know, things not seeming real or not feeling like a real person, then I, definitely I would explore to see if that was something. Mm. And I think we skimmed upon that last time we got together where that feeling of something, this doesn't feel real. I feel like I'm in a dream. What's going on there psychologically when somebody feels that? They just can't take any more reality and they're distancing their minds, distancing them to protect them from the intense feelings. Hmm. Okay. So it's almost let's, you know, let's go into a fantasy feel. So I get out of the real feel, the real reality as a, again, it's just a protection mode. Right. Wow. Hmm. But it's very scary because you get very disoriented and it feels weird. So Unfortunately, quite often it, it leads person quite often they'll, they'll end up with a panic attack. So now not only do they have the PTSD, they may have a panic disorder. Yes. And the reason I even brought that up and wanted to, uh, people have told it to me, you know, people close to me have said that and, who are dealing with some challenges that it feels like a dream. I just, I feel, I feel like I'm in a dream. Um, so it's obvious that there's, there's a challenge going on that they're escaping from it. And then do you find a lot of times people in these situations also gravitate toward um, a substance, whatever it might be, to help with an escape? Well, people go to, you know, substances for coping. The only problem with the substance is what was the solution becomes a problem. Right. And even it might be a short term fix, but there's also collateral situations where that substance could bring on depression. You think it's okay for the moment, but then when you come down from it, that brings on even more challenges. So, you know, my thinking is get help, get help, you know, ASAP. Yeah. In, invariably people always say, I, I take the substance to take the edge off, right? Sure. It's so much, I always ask them, wouldn't you rather just take it all away? Right. Rather than just the edge? A hundred percent. And you're just, you're not fixing the the situation, the problem. You're just masking it. And I get it. I understand it. But like you said, take care of it. Deal with it. Not, not comfortable. I understand that as well. But uh, at some point you have to face it. Um, how, do we, uh, how do we connect with you, Roger? Uh, I'm at drlevine.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-L-A-V-I-N-E.com. Yeah. Uh, normally I don't talk about a topic in two podcasts, but this one is so important, impactful, uh, that I'm glad we, uh, we went down that road today. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We'll be right back. 
Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council.